Okay, good morning, everyone. Let me just turn this on. Okay, I'm ready. Um, so my name's Amy, as Mark said, and um, I'm part of the team here at Trinity. And I'm excited to talk to you um, today about this area of gifts of the Spirit. Um, I actually can hear my son as well shouting, so that is going to be good that he's also hearing about the gifts of the Spirit this morning, so that's exciting. So to start us off, this is going to feel like an odd way to begin in July, but I'd like you to imagine a Christmas morning, a specific Christmas morning in my life in the mid-90s. I mean, yeah, the 90s. So um, I was seven, and my absolute dream for that Christmas was a tiny tears. She was a doll where you filled her up with water and then you sort of shook her in quite an inappropriate way and she like cried and you could console her and then she also sort of leaked and you could change her nappy and I was absolutely desperate for one. I had been plotting for months, I had been writing note after note asking and Christmas morning came. Now I'm an only child and so the tradition in my house was that all the gifts um, would be at the end of my bed and I would scoot them up and I would get in between my parents in their bed and open the presents. And so I did that this Christmas morning and gift after gift and she wasn't there. So I being the good little girl that I was and hopefully still am at times, I smiled, I said, oh well, maybe next year. And my mum turned to me and said, oh, are you a bit disappointed? And I went, oh, it's okay, it's okay. She said, let's go downstairs for breakfast. And so I'm hoping you can see where this story might be going. We went downstairs for breakfast and there on the kitchen table was one more gift. And so I opened this gift with glee. Like I can see my little self doing it now. And actually the kind of end of the story is quite funny because my dad is quite a neat and tidy man. And so he would actually only let me play with her with a towel underneath because she was so leaky. So actually, by New Year, it wasn't so fun. But I really want this morning, as I'm talking to you about gifts of the Spirit, for you to have that face of glee of a little one opening a gift they have dreamed of um, in your minds as I talk. So we're in a, currently in a series called Spirit Life. Following on from learning about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we are looking at what it means to live a life filled with the Spirit in our everyday, a life where the Holy Spirit is active and moving and working in our lives. In our passages today, we have heard that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is to give gifts. And even that in itself, like is something that might be really familiar to you, but just the idea that our God, who made, I have to say this to our children, to the stars and giraffes, he wants to give you gifts. Over the next few weeks, we are going to look at what these gifts are and how they work. We'll be looking at gifts of knowledge this week, gifts of speech and gifts of power. I'm really expectant in my own life and hungry for more of this more of the spirit working in me and through me as I move around my regular life. Mark reminded us last week that the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit is love. What a truth. This week, we are focusing on gifts of knowledge. And so from what Heather read out to us, we are going to kind of group them. And so there are three in this kind of section of gifts of knowledge. The first is words of knowledge. The second, words of wisdom. And finally, discernment. 
These things may be really familiar to you, but they may be entirely new. And I'm really hoping that from the things that I share this morning, either is fine. So listen and see if the Lord has something specific just for you. Now to begin, when I was preparing this, I felt like it was really important to say that we are all gifted people. So some of us can sing, my husband loves to cook, Um, I have one child who's incredible with numbers, another loves to read. I myself like to do anything that means that I'm under a blanket by myself. (laughs) Sometimes I think we can read these passages and use this idea of natural giftedness in our minds and conclude that Paul is saying that God makes some people gifted and others not so much. But that isn't how spiritual gifts work. This isn't about talents or natural giftedness in your own life. This is a freely given gift from God. And sometimes it's really surprising and upside down how these gifts are given. For example, Moses that we read about in the Old Testament was an adopted kid with a speech impediment. And yet, even though he didn't want to be a leader, he led an entire nation And a whole group of people changed because of the Spirit working through him. God isn't a teacher matching up talents to children. This isn't a school report and God pulling out the things that he's noticed that you can do well. This is an entirely different kingdom. Put aside what you feel you are good at or not good at. Your school reports really aren't relevant here. This is about supernatural gifts. And 1 Corinthians tells us that the gifts are given to each part of the body. And you are one of those each parts of the body. He has gifts ready to give to you. Aza Toza says this, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. So what we're going to do this morning is look at these gifts of knowledge and learn a little about them. And then we're going to use an example in Jesus's life of an encounter that he has with this woman where he himself uses a gift of knowledge to change her life. All of these gifts are ultimately about Jesus. They point to him. I've often found it a bit uncomfortable in my own life to ask for these gifts in prayer It feels kind of arrogant, like I want a circus trick or something to kind of show off or a way to prove that God is real when someone might be sceptical. We're often encouraged, aren't we, to pray less of me, God, more of you, less of me, more of you. And so how does that work in this? Having a word of knowledge can draw attention to yourself. And so I've often found that confusing. But these gifts aren't about our self-importance. They're about us working in partnership with God to point to him. Alan Scott, in his amazing book called Scattered Servants, which I would really recommend, I found it so helpful to go back and read again. He says this, stop thinking it's holy to hide. Get visible. You are the light of the world. Unless you show up, people never see it. Seeking and using spiritual gifts is ultimately showing up. Showing up and showing Jesus in every place and every person that is in front of us. 
so that he can be revealed in their life and his love can spread. Scott says this, God has promised joy to the world. He's waiting for kingdom servants to drag that promise to the surface. When they show up, there is great joy in the city. So these gifts are freely given so that we would show up and show Jesus in this city. We're encouraged later in Corinthians to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. Heather read two passages in the Bible for us. The first, Paul's letter to the Corinthian, and second, a section from John. The first explains these spiritual gifts, and the second demonstrates how Jesus used these gifts. So we're going to work through this encounter in hopefully three helpful steps. When we're using a gift of knowledge, we see God, we serve God, and the city changes. Or he gives a gift, we give it back, and together we do the work. So firstly, we desire and receive these gifts. As I said, today we're looking at the three gifts of knowledge. So just to define them really quickly, a word of knowledge can be defined as a piece of information that God gives you about someone's life that you couldn't have known by yourself. A word of wisdom is perhaps a bit more nuanced, but it's essentially God giving either you or for someone else a sense of direction of what should come next. So there's clarity and direction that maybe, again, you just wouldn't have known for that person's circumstances. And discernment is the supernatural ability to distinguish between spirits. So to figure out what is God working in someone's life and what isn't, and how do we figure those things out? So this is where we can turn to our second passage and learn from Jesus how he used a gift of the words of knowledge. Jesus met this Samaritan woman on purpose in a detour on his route. He shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been alone with her. And he shouldn't have spoken to her specifically for so many reasons that it's really easy to miss when we read it now. It was in public. He should never have spoken directly to a woman. And this was a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were centuries old enemies of the Jewish people. This woman is drawing water in the middle of the day, which would have been such an uncomfortable, hot, horrible experience. And she's doing it alone because she isn't welcome amongst the women that would have come first thing in the morning. She was hot, she was alone, and she was an outcast. This isn't the first time she would have drawn water in this way, and it wasn't the last. This was her lot. This was what life was for her. Now, the woman at the well is a really well-known Bible story for lots of people. But I have to admit that when I became a Christian as a teenager, I used to skip past this story. I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. And honestly, I didn't like reading this interaction between Jesus and this woman. I knew Jesus was loving and kind. But in this conversation, he seemed unkind to me. He was calling this woman out. He was telling her out loud the things that were so um, hidden in her life, so shameful for her. He was exposing her, and that gift of knowledge to me seemed mean. It seemed embarrassing for her. It seemed exposing. 
And yet, when I have learned more about Jesus and more about the Bible, I understand now that I was so wrong. There is so much about this woman I didn't understand and so much about Jesus that I've gone on to understand. I'm sure there's more that he has for me in this story to understand. Firstly, women couldn't divorce. They could only be divorced. I've read articles implying that this woman was making bad choices and just moving from man to man in these marriages. But that wasn't it at all. Jesus wasn't pointing out that she was a promiscuous woman or moved on from relationship to relationship. Instead, he was recognizing that she had been discarded by men who were supposed to love her. She had been divorced over and over, and that was something that had happened to her. All of this put shame onto her by her culture. She had been dishonored, and she had been mistreated. Elaine Storkey, who writes so beautifully on women in the Bible, she says this. This was no restless, dissatisfied woman deliberately hopping from husband to husband. When Jesus insists on limiting the grounds for divorce, which he does in Matthew 19, it's against this backdrop. He has this woman and others like her in mind. He wants to protect women from being discarded for no good reason. So here was this man in front of her, a man unlike all these other men, a man who saw her and spoke to her and had knowledge of her past and her pain. He took the shame that she had and he took it on himself. It was shameful, unclean, unacceptable for him to be speaking to her. And it was unimaginable that he would drink water from the jar that she was giving him to drink. In this moment, he takes her shame and he exchanges it for value. And that's what he does for all of us on the cross. So that, I am learning, is what a word of knowledge does. It isn't exposing or embarrassing her. It's unlocking her heart to her Lord and Saviour who made her. He's loving her in a specific, personal way. In that moment, she is known by the God who made her and has seen her in every day that she has struggled. My new favourite part of this story when I read it is this that we read in 4.39. The town listens to her and is changed. Her whole identity amongst the community changes now. And this might be a stretch within the biblical text, so Mark can tell me after. But I like to imagine that from this point on, she went to gather water in the morning with all the other women. That she laughed with them and talked with them and she changed from being this woman they avoided to being this woman who had met with Jesus and that they wanted to be close to because she had been close to him. She'd fallen in love with God And her response was to serve. It overflowed in her. She had heard from God. She had seen God. And her response is to have that desire for other people. Her whole town changed because Jesus spoke to her. 
And so this is what we're called to do, to eagerly desire these gifts, to expect to receive them. And then when we do, to show up, probably feel sick in the moment, give it a go, and then give it back to God for his glory. Not because of a sense of duty or hard work, but as an overflow of our love for God and all that he's done in our lives. We don't become superhuman when we're given these gifts. We become spirit-filled. When working as they should, these gifts don't make us look good. They point to God. And they show a God who longs to meet with people in specific moments, in exact places and exact times. So we do need to take a leap to get started, both to pray for others and to be prayed for. Maybe this is something you feel really confident of. Maybe you have stories in your own life of sharing things with people that you know you didn't know and seeing them be unlocked by God right before your eyes. Maybe you have stories in your own life of someone praying for you and there being something that they say that you know isn't their words. It's direct from the heart of the Lord. But maybe not. Maybe it's something that is new to you. Maybe you've never come forward in a service like this. Maybe you've never prayed for someone in a church setting or out in the city. This series is all about us growing in confidence as a family to give these things a go. If this feels new and just flat out strange, that's okay. I am really hoping and praying in my own life and in yours that there are stories yet to tell. That there are stories of where God wants to work with us in our workplace, on our street, around our kitchen table, in this place, where he wants to tell us things that he knows about other people that will change their lives forever. And we get to see it. We get to watch it and know that he loves us and he loves them. So I'm going to end again with Alan Scott. Can you tell? I've been like, it's one of those books you start underlining and then you start, oh, whatever, all of it. <laughs> Jesus entered your story so that together with him, you could go and rewrite the story of everything, everywhere. That is your task. That is your assignment. You are the light of the world. So we see God, we serve God, and the city changes. Or he gives us a gift, we give it back, and together we do the work. Or finally, we become the church on fire. And together we see the city come alive. <laughs>